Sonic States. Hello everybody, welcome to Sonic Talk number 210. We're finally here. This is a new thing for us. If you're watching live, you've probably been uh, enjoying me, me squirming um, massively while I try and deal with the uh, the video feed because we've got a multiple video stream. We've got uh, on video here, we've got uh, uh, various guests, but uh, nonetheless, live chat room, 4pm UK Wednesday time, uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live. Uh, if you want to see this fiasco take place again next week, hopefully I'll have it a bit more up to and everything will be sweet. But here we all are. So uh, first of all, I want to introduce uh, our special guest for this week, which is Mr. Ulrich Schnauss. Ambient, chill, sort of, I don't know, how would you describe your music? I've heard it described in a number of ways, including the term shoegazer. I mean, does that seem right? Um, not really, because I'm barefoot at the moment. That's well, you want to watch, you want to watch, you want to watch your feet. Yeah, check that. Barefoot. No shoes. Ah, well, maybe. maybe. Yeah. Well, so that's completely wrong. But uh, of yeah. course, you know, you are. Uh, I've been listening to your music all morning and previous to this as well. I am actually a fan, so uh, it's been putting me in, in, a, in a very good mood. Ordinarily, by now, given the amount of technical problems I've been through, I'd be a mess. But your music has helped keep me on an even keel and nice and chilled. So there we go. Uh, anyway, um, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we've also got. Um, uh, let me start in the top corner. We've got Gaz Williams there, who's looking very resplendent in stripes. Gaz Williams, of course, our Welsh music producer based in Bristol, songsurgeon.co.uk. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, been enjoying a nice kind of spring kind of day. It's been, weather's quite chilly, but it's getting springs on its way, so that's quite nice. It is. Um, it makes a, makes a difference, doesn't it? It's quite pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we've got a couple of uh, other people. We've got um, Dave Spears, who's there. He's represented by this blue icon who I'm covering up. It's supposed to be me, but uh, my camera's not working. Uh, Dave Robinson from ProSoundNewsEurope.com. How are you, Dave Robinson? Hello. Editor, in fact. That's me. Well, thanks for joining us. And Hello. in the middle there, we've got Dave Spears from G4 Software. You can see behind him there is the rather lovely... Uh, is that the Wurlitzer um, signal system? Go on, let's get some, let's have some lights. <laughs> Fantastic, we've been hearing about this. Yeah, that's the... Uh, Dave Spears, g4software.com, thank you very much. And in the bottom corner, uh, we've got Mr. Rich Hilton from sunny Connecticut, who uh, mans the studio for Nile Rogers on a weekly basis, or daily basis, in fact, and joins the podcast on a weekly basis. I get that the right way around sometimes. How are you doing, Rich? You're muted, I think, Rich, actually. Yes, doing very well, thank you. Thank you. You're, you're a bit <laughs> muted. And also, that other chuckle there, PJ Tracy, PJ Tracy Music, uh, Emmy-winning PJ Tracy, uh, composer, player, and the like. How are you, PJ? Very well, thank you. Jolly good. Right, well, I've got the introductions out of the way, uh, and now I should probably switch to my talk notes. Now I'm going to up to yet, yet another screen. This is getting quite visually complicated, but making sure I'm sending everything. That's all cool. So, uh, Ulrich... I see that we have caught you in the studio, which I'm very pleased to see. So uh, that looks like a, a healthy selection of equipment in the background there. Are you uh, currently you are you currently working? You see some more? Oh, go on, give us a tour. Ooh, racks and racks. Uh, yeah. So are you? I, I hear that you're working on a, a new solo app record. Is that what you're doing at the moment? Um, yeah, that's that's one one of the things I'm working on at the moment. Yeah, that's true. I'm I was kind of basically uh, 
So yeah. I was I was I was wondering how that was going because I mean, is it going to be much of a departure from your previous stuff? Because obviously, you know, you've had some great success with uh, you know, strangely isolated pace, goodbye, and the, the various EPs that you've done, as well as your production work. Have you kind of are you heading in a different direction, or are you going to keep the same classic Ulrich sound? Well, I mean, I think it's it's probably going to sound something like I've done. There's not much I can do about that, <laughs> it seems. But uh, <laughs> but um, that's that's quite a few changes uh, uh, as well. So generally, I think that the overall sound is probably a bit more uh, electronic um, and um, rhythmically. I wanted to change a few things, like rather than continuing to work with breakbeats, I wanted to use with more abstract uh, rhythms. So most of the rhythm tracks are sort of made up out of found sound uh, elements rather than ba- classic bass drum snare uh, patterns and uh, yeah that's that's it's it's probably just generally i would say it's a more electronic di- direction because i find that quite interesting at the moment so i mean one thing that was quite interesting uh, i mean because of the the way that your music sounds and its structure is sort of very ethereal to uh, to a lot of degrees and in, i mean that in a really good way but yet still very emotional how do you compose because it seems like it's made up of of sounds that you can only make on synthesizers and, and through various effects and what have you? Well, I always um, start uh, over here uh, at the, on the piano. I just come up with, like, with a nice chord sequence uh, or something that, I, that inspires me to develop ideas for an electronic arrangement. And then I move probably about two meters to the other side as the computer. Yeah, and I start um, laying down, I don't know, additional elements, bass lines, melodies, uh, whatever, and then I use various synthesizers to create an arrangement. But it always starts with a piano piece. Um, I think that's quite important for me because I want, want the, the, the pieces to have enough sort of harmonic and melodic substance that they would work in a non-electronic environment as well. Oh, I see. So, uh, and how? I mean, I can see that you've got a lot of outboard and physical kind of stuff there. I mean, are you are you mm-hmm. not necessarily purely in the box? Then I'm guessing. No, I mean all the all the source sounds are all synthesizers, and I'm still using a lot of hardware effects as well. At the same time, I am using a lot of plugins as well because obviously there's there's some really interesting technological developments and stuff that's not even available as hardware, like a lot of the granular synthesis um, stuff, for instance, that I use a lot. So I've, I use basically everything that, that everything I find Everything and anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I I've been trawling around looking at some of the uh, interviews that you did, and one of the things that you say is when you've worked with computers and keyboards for such a long time, they kind of lose their fascination. I mean, is that something, do you have a set of tools that you just like to use, or do you, are you always on the lookout for something that's going to give you a, a, a different creative uh, direction or you know, just bring something that you haven't already got or a new p- unique uh, point of view? Well, I think by now I've got quite a wide range uh, of different sounding instruments. I mean, there's probably, I don't know, probably like 30 or 40 synthesizers in, the, in this room. And I actually, I, I mean that in a positive way that it loses its fascination. Because I think the good thing about that is that it's not like you, you switch a synthesizer on and the first sound that comes out of it, you go like, wow, I'm going to use that. You have to work a bit harder to find something interesting. So you're getting more critical and hopefully the standard uh, will be a bit higher therefore as well. And you basically realize that it's the human being that uses the instrument, um, what what makes music fascinating, rather than some machine with a couple of blinking lights. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah well, that's that's true. <laughs> and that's very clear with what you do. I mean, so I'm guessing, do you have an, quite a lot of polyphonic synths 
because I mean, there's a lot of pads and very sort of specifically, sort of beautiful wide sounds. I mean, what what are your go-to hardware sets? I mean, bear in mind that uh, we're we're all uh, complete gear whores here. So I mean, you look at Dave there, you can see how many synthesizers he's got in his room too. So don't hold mm-hmm. back. <laughs> Well, I've, I've actually I've only got two mon- monophonic sense anyway. I've got a, a System 100M and uh, an ARP 26. And besides that, uh, yeah, I mainly use polyphonic sense because I like cards basically. And uh, my favorite synthesizer ever is probably the Voyetra 8. That's something I'm using very frequently. Then I'm using the OB8 a lot, which is like the first proper polyphonic sense I ever bought. And Basically, from the first day, that, that's that's become like a really inspiring instrument to me. And when I look around here, what else do I like a lot? The PPG Wave, I, I use a lot. Um, Prophet VS. Um, I've got a Yamaha CS80 as well, which is very Ooh. nice. Ooh. And I was I was I was really lucky. A couple of years ago, I picked up uh, an Oberheim eight voice system in a museum, and it was completely. Um, but uh, um, I've got a good friend who's a very good technician, and he restored it over a period of three years. And since December, I'm finally using um, that as well. And that's obviously a, a very lovely instrument. That's amazing, isn't it? It is an amazing. Mm-hmm. Are you using a lot of uh, like you say a lot of outboard effects? I mean, I'm guessing I'm hearing kind of maybe uh, the. Uh, the Eventide, uh, the Ultra Harmonizer, and the H three thousand, all that kind of stuff, just for the, that extra width. Um, just because that's mm-hmm. the one thing that really strikes me about all of your stuff. It's just so, it's so wide and broad. You manage to get a lot of kind of texture and depth in there, even though there's there's not much um, daylight. If you see what I mean, because you're, your pads are quite floaty. You know, you don't you tend mm-hmm. tend to use rhythmical stuff. I mean, is that a challenge, or do you you have a specific sort of strata that you tend to work with in the frequency range? Well, I think it's. The, the overall idea is obviously, and that's probably the reason why I, I like using these specific reverbs as well, to create a sound that that's not necessarily based on the idea of recreating something that exists in, yeah. I don't know, nature or any kind of real environment, but to create uh, sonic spaces that, that are a bit otherworldly or, or non-real. And um, yeah, I think a, a really long reverb, for instance, like is, is, is an interesting way to create a space that's quite unique to music and you will rarely find if you, I don't know, walk through the city or something. So how did you get started out in this? Because presumably you didn't just sort of wake up one morning with all of this gear and to, to, to create your sound. I mean, what was the sort of the, 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 the stepping stones to getting to where, you know, where you were able to create these kind of textures? Well, the stuff that I have here, I collected over the last um, 15 years, so basically half half of my life. And um, I started doing drum and bass uh, in the 90s, and uh, then towards the end of the 90s, got a bit bored with the restrictions uh, in dance music and, and tried to do some more like freeform electronic stuff, which eventually turned into the first record, which I released under my own name. And um, yeah, it's basically been been continuing luckily ever since since then i guess excellent you've been doing some production work with uh, a, a couple of bands as well that that was mm-hmm. uh, something that was kind of interesting because that that was quite guitar based and sort of slightly yeah. away from your mm-hmm. usual thing how did you find that um that was that a natural thing or was it something that you already that you had to adjust to 
Well, I've, I've always tried to work with um, as many different people as possible, and especially people who come from different backgrounds or use different instruments, because I think you can, it's, it's very educating for yourself as well. You can like learn little bits and pieces that you can then again use in your own, own music again. You learn how people from, from different backgrounds listen uh, to, to music, which is also um, interesting. And I just generally thought that a lot of the, the kind of, production ideas I'm using might work well in a guitar context as well and uh, lucky enough um, a few opportunities came up to try that and um, yeah that's 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 how that happened and and the other thing I was I mean the, all of your records sound great as well there's a real sort of depth and sort of full frequency to do you engineer yourself or do you work with kind of other people I mean how does that tend to work um, depends on my solo stuff is, is basically just me and um, all the, all the projects that are really close um, uh, to me, basically, I try to do on my own. Like with some of the band stuff, for instance, I, tr I was treating and remixing uh, a material that uh, an actual engineer had recorded in the studio. So it varies from project to project, I'd say. Yeah, oh, interesting. Um, I know that uh, Dave Robinson, Pro Sound News Europe, you're a, a, a fan of Ulrich's music. Have you got any, uh, any other questions you're itching to put to the, to the man? Well... <laughs> <laughs> Not to put you on the spot or anything. <laughs> I was gonna say, no, no, just you've asked all the questions I was going to ask. Um, no, so, th so thinking, um, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Ulrich. I was introduced to your music about three or four years ago, and I'm um, particularly, um, particularly like um, uh, Goodbye, actually, and there's a track called Stars, mm -hmm. with, which uh, th you've taken the, 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 the voice and made it very much another instrument. So the, mm -hmm. the, you can hear the, the lyrics, but it's, it's really kind of secondary to the overall um, texture. I'm assuming that it's always about texture for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think, obviously, I think different people have different preferences. I've worked with people that pay most attention to chords, other people most attention to melodies, even some people most attention to lyrics. For me, I think it's always been about the way something sounds, like sonics, and that's what I try to concentrate on um, in my music. Although I wouldn't say that, obviously, melodies and chords are, are completely, uh, I don't know, secondary, but... Um, um, yeah, that's that's definitely a deliberate uh, choice to use the voice as an instrument among other instruments. Although I can't really take claim credit for that idea because that's actually one of the the core ideas that um, that the whole shoegaze uh, movement in the early nineties uh, yeah. uh, brought brought up, and a lot of those bands, Chapter House, Slow Dive, My Bloody Valentine, they they sort of pioneered um, that that style of integrating the, the vocals into one big wall of sound. Yeah, because of course you do a cover of Crazy For You on your first album, don't you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The um, slow dive yeah. track. Yeah. How do you do this stuff live? Because you play live a lot as well, don't you? I mean, you've been known to tour quite uh, on a number of occasions. Yeah, I was actually, yeah, that's that's one of the reasons why I've totally failed to respond to your messages in the last couple of days because I'm, I'm preparing uh, a live set uh, at the moment because I'm going to Greece uh, tomorrow morning for a couple of shows there. And um, the way I'm, I'm playing live is quite different to the, the, the way I work in the studio. So basically I take the finished pieces and sort of... Um, uh, 
split them up into loads of little uh, loops and little elements that I can then play around with in Ableton Live and create like a live remix or live rearrangement. I always I always try to think of it as like, do you know how like how dub reggae stuff was done in, in the 70s? So you basically have like 16 tracks or whatever continuously right. playing and you, you build an arrangement by fading stuff in and out, adding effects. Uh, so that's 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 how I'm, I'm trying to create an interesting um, live performance at the moment. I mean, you don't want to take all that stuff on the road, do you? It's just not gonna not gonna exactly, last the course. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's probably not worth it as well because I think most of the stuff would probably break down after one or two shows. So, <laughs> uh, I think that would be a bad idea. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Can I ask how did you get involved with um, with Johan Schmerling? Um, through, uh, through a mutual friend um, uh, of ours. He introduced us and um, we, we just met for a, for a coffee um, a couple of times. I'd actually consider Johannes uh, uh, a good, good friend now and uh, then he was planning to do this reissue of uh, White Out and um, he was looking for, for people to, to do like a reinterpretation of one of the pieces and, and asked um, me and this friend of ours, Robert, and so we, we just did that. It's quite a long time ago, though. That's uh, more than 10 years ago now. I uh, got a couple of messages really? in the chat room, actually. Um, when are you going to be playing in the UK again? Got any, uh, anything lined up for that? Um... Yeah, there's a show in Bristol um, next month, and a, pr a promoter in London has just approached me about a show um, at the Old Blue Last, but there's no date for that yet in London. So, yeah. Well, Bristol, that's only down the road. We'll, we'll have to go, Gaz. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'll hit you up for a guestie. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> please, please, please do it, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, what I want to do now, I'm just going to, because uh, uh, we were a bit delayed with uh, my faffing around with the technology, I'd just like to introduce uh, a word from our sponsor, as is customary, and then um, perhaps we can chip into a couple of, uh, of these other topics, because I'm sure you'll have interesting... Uh Interesting things to say on that as well, uh, Ulrich. Thank you very much. So, I uh, just want to say thank you to our show sponsors, Yamaha uh, UK. Uh, they'd like to tell you a little bit about mixers. They've got a bunch of... Um a whole bunch of mixes. In fact, this whole show is being run uh, via the uh, Yamaha DM1000, which is, is proving to be invaluable when it comes to the complex routing I need for all of this. Uh, and also, uh, but they've got a whole bunch of other si sort of mixes as well. The MG series is uh, something they want to tell you about. It's 12 different models from 8-channel to 32-channel. The latest generation of MG mixes contain handy and unique features, such as single non-compressor, which can tighten up your sound in rehearsals or recording in a rush. Uh, Yamaha effects processing in some of them can help reduce the load on your host computer. Several of the models also contain integrated USB ports so you can record and uh, play back from the computer. Uh, in fact, the USB models come shipped with Cubase AI5. So if you want to check out some of the sound of the Yamaha mixers, please go to a Pulse store. There are details you can find them on yamahadownload.com as uh, a list of Pulse stores. They're sort of stores within stores. I'm sure you could do the same in the US as well. Uh, go and check out one of these mixers, put some audio through it, check out the features and then come back and, uh, and buy loads but tell them that we sent you. So uh, also, or if you're interested in some of the more higher end stuff uh, yamahaproaudio.com once again thank you very much to yamaha for their continued sponsorship of the show well we we were broadcasting when the ipad 2 came out uh, we don't really need to go into that but the thing that was one of the really big pieces of news from uh, from that launch was some of the facts and figures and also the announcement of garage band for ipad uh, it turns out that they've sold 15 million ipads worldwide which is more than pcs as a whole so these things are kind of taking over the whole tablet sort of thing and apple are really cleaning up for people who perhaps don't want a full-blown pc just want to weigh in but with things like um 
GarageBand coming on stream with the iPad. I mean, this is going to change the game a little bit, don't you think? I mean, is there going to be a, a sea change? It looks like also because all of this money and investment has gone into designing uh, an interface that works for music by somebody as big as Apple, hopefully we'll start to see an acceleration and um, uh, increase in usability. Um, I don't know, uh, Ulrich, perhaps you, uh, do you use an iPad? I mean, is it something, the touch, whole touch thing, is that something that kind of you get, gets you anywhere? Um, well, I've, uh, I've just two months ago, I got this BlackBerry and uh, I've got no idea how to use it. So I guess that answers your question. <laughs> <laughs> there are, no, fair enough. I suppose that's... Yeah, uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, one of the things that, that... There's a whole bunch of different... You know, they, they're bringing a whole load of these garage band instruments in. I mean, uh, let's see. Well, Dave Spears, uh, you must be kind of watching this with interest because being, you know, part of what you do is obviously inside the box, outside the box. I mean, does it? do you think it's kind of going in the right direction or is this the idea? I think what was the quote? There's even a range of smart instruments that make you sound like an expert musician, even if you've never played a note before. Is that I good? I do with at least two of those. <laughs> One for each <laughs> hand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... We'll have to see how it evolves. For me, at the minute, the most exciting thing is obviously the the graphical side of things because we're seeing a lot of new implementation on that side of things. So that's that's the kind of exciting thing for me. Mm, yeah, no, I can see where that would be. PJ, sorry, I, because I can't see you, I'm just kind of... I, you you don't jump out as, uh, as immediately needing to say something, but I think you should. Is the iPad, as any of this stuff is starting to make you kind of feel a little more, you know, heading in that direction? Yourself? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, personally, I think I'll probably wait and see whether or not they release an iPad Pro or some, something along those lines in the next iteration something a little larger would right. be better for me personally you know when when um making music but it, i have a friend who who writes for pc world magazine and when the first ipad came out we had a series of debates as to whether or not it would really take off and and, and be as kind of a powerful tool i i, I contended that it would um just kind of seeing the, the rumblings of what was going on in our own industry and and thinking that it's it's usually the artists that kind of uh, adapt these things first, you know, kind of like the pencil or the chisel or something <laughs> like that, you know, and and then and eventually they, it kind of disseminates into the into the public. But um, it really seems to be kind of a kind of a wildfire the iPad. So it's uh, it's interesting to see to see this kind of uh, I think we're on a, on a cusp. It's interesting but also because with, 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 they're also bringing out iMovie uh, for the iPad as well. And because this, this, the iPad 2's got cameras, I mean, when, we, when it first came out, it was more of a consumption device. Whereas now it's starting to look like it might actually be usable in some, uh, as, a, as a content creation device, which is a completely different paradigm to what we've been you know, used to with the, the iPad. Um, Dave Robinson, got one yet? Getting one? Uh, no, I, but as the the Conan, there's a Conan uh, O'Brien skit, um, and it, uh, Apple say, you know, whatever we make it, whatever we make, you're going to buy it anyway. So, <laughs> you know, um, you should track it, track it down. Very, fu- it's very funny. Um, 
GarageBand for the iPad seems to me to be taking something that's kind of over-specified and putting it on, on, on a, a format that it won't be comfortable with. Now, it, some kind of drag-and-drop, mixing Rex files or you know, dropping loops, that kind of stuff on a, on a DJ-type um, cut-and-paste approach to audio, yeah. But anything more creative than that, it, it doesn't strike me as being... The, the, the right way to present it. And I would, I would say perhaps it might be something like um, these apps that you get for the iPhone, like the, the virtual stylophone and that kind of stuff. You see it, it looks great, um, and you have a play with it, or the, you know, the drum machine, you have a play with it, you show your friends, look what I can do, and then you move on to the next thing. <laughs> Uh, and you know, and then oh look, I can I can do a pint of beer or whatever, you know. So I, I just um, yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm I would yet to be convinced. Of course, when I buy an iPad two, eventually I'm going to think it's the best thing ever. But uh, at the moment, I'm uh, I'm I'm steering I'm staying away from the iPad, and I think something like GarageBand, you know, it'll be a, it'll be gimmicky for a little while, but then people will go back to just using other applications. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a fair point. And Rich, I mean, you, you presumably, you know, the stuff that you're doing in the studio for uh, projects with Nile and various other things, you know, ultimately there's, there's going to come a point where, the, where the, the consumption of this is going to start taking place on these devices and maybe even the interaction with it. I mean, is that something that's, you know, that you, that you think is going to be relevant? Well, I see guys touting the fact that they've made their project on iPad entirely or on iPod entirely. So I see that, I observe that for some people this is compelling. As it relates to my work with Nile, do I ever expect to be doing any serious work that we're going to do on an iPad? Uh, not at the moment, but I'm kind of with Dave Robinson on this. I have an iPad full of all the coolest music software that I can find. And every time we review one, I try to go find it and download it and try it out. As a recreational tool or a creative tool, I don't use any of it. Now, I don't know if my experience is transferable to other people or not, but that's just how it plays into my life. Maybe at some point I will. Maybe GarageBand will be that thing that makes me want to do it. Although I got to wonder what kind of files they're supplying as a library for this thing because in order to supply a decent-sized loop library, you probably have to give compressed files throughout, I would think. I can't imagine this thing is stuffed full of WAV files because it's probably got to fit within like 200 megabytes or less on your, you know, on your average mobile device. Yeah. But it might be a lot of fun and it might be really cool and people might really enjoy it. It might be, more importantly, a really excellent teaching tool yeah, I, I, I guess that's that's fair enough. I'm Gaz. We know that you've been waiting out for the iPad too. It came out. <laughs> Did you buy it yet? Then um, I just bought myself a Reverend Rumblefish, which is a really cool bass. Uh, Instead, I used up all my iPad uh, <laughs> funds. So um, yes. uh, <laughs> good for you. So. Um, yeah, interesting. I'm kind of still sort of on on the fence a little bit. I mean. You know, uh, I, I can't wait to see it. I mean, Apple do have a knack of getting... It's the kind uh, of- Friday, Friday evening, five o'clock. You'll be queuing up then, presumably, like the rest of us. Yes, I don't think. Is that what it's out, is it, Friday? Yeah. I was interested. I noticed that, you know, uh, something that, that I thought was very interesting was the Elysis Studio dock, which was announced at NAMM. Yeah, I wonder if it'll still fit. That's, that's what I was wondering, because they're going on that the new one's that much slimmer or whatever. 
will it fit? Will they have to have weird sort of spacing devices to make these kind of fit? Um, must be a real kind of pain for a washer. Trying to iPad washers. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Well, that's that's a good point. I mean, uh, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, what can you say? I mean, it's, Maybe, it's um, marches on. Do you want to give on. me an opportunity to just say something like a tiny bit more serious than the yes, of course, about the Black, Blackberry made. <laughs> Um, I, I basically, I just say, I mean, this is a very subjective opinion, but in my opinion, I, I understand the desire to make everything portable, easier, to, to, to have less and less trouble creating and, and to concentrate on the process of, of uh, being creative rather than having to deal with loads of obstacles. But my problem is basically that so far, I think um, this... Uh, this technological progress has always gone hand in hand with a loss of, of quality, and as, as so I, I don't even use software synthesizers. I don't, I don't. I know a lot of people would disagree with that, but I do believe that the hardware originals still do sound better, and I think as long as as this this is seems to be a necessary uh, um follow up that you have to compromise on the quality end of things if you use uh, these new technological developments i think that they're not too interesting and i would even say that all the music that that i like and i still think there's a lot of great music being made is made by people who put a lot of effort into it and who are willing to uh, confront the troubles um, that you have working with old gear, working with, with new gear that's a bit more complicated. I think very little music that is actually worthwhile and timeless can be made uh, on an iPad, for instance. But obviously that's that's a very subjective opinion. But... Um yeah, I don't think that's I don't think that's invalid at all. I mean, I think actually that's kind of got to the nub of it a little bit, you know, because it's all heading towards the, you know, I, I take you back to the you don't have to be an expert to sound like a musician with this whatever smart mm-hmm. instrument. Well, actually, you do. If you want anybody to actually give a shit about the sort of thing that you're doing, you have yeah. to have some kind of skills or some unique point of view or ability to kind of get something out of of whatever equipment it is that nobody else can and if everybody's using the same generic interface then yeah i mean this is this is the same issue that i have with or had for a long time with uh, everybody using pro tools you know when there was when it was when it was low you know when it was only 16 bit when it was lower sample rights it all had a sort of sheen and sound the same that's not really the case anymore but homogeny breeds homogeny doesn't it i mean it's bound to so Nick, can I can I just add something real quick? Yeah, of course. I, I want to qualify what I said earlier in that what I, I guess to add to what everybody else is saying, and I, I completely agree with with all of these opinions, is that the iPad would have to become a viable computer replacement tool before it'll you know before it'll be a, a serious music interface for myself personally, or I, I'm sure I'm sure anybody. But I'm wondering if not five or six years down the road, devices like that are going to be the way we interface with software. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we also have a problem where we, when we have technology that is capable, we expect it to do everything all at the same time. Whereas, you know, you might be able to take your Mac Pro and run a software synthesizer on it that uses all of its resources and sounds absolutely awesome. But your computer can't do anything else. But people, we're not prepared for that to be the case. It seems like there's not a will for it. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering as well, though, you know, um, I use Omnisphere a lot, and Omnisphere, the latest version's got this uh, thing called the Orb, 
and I'm at the moment I'm trying to use the orb using a trackpad and uh, I don't know if anyone here has used it yet but it is a really interesting way to interact with a, a soft synth and uh, I'm thinking that yes that the uh, the iPad control app for for interacting with with soft synths such as Omnisphere wonderful you know multi-touch really really cool um and i kind of wonder whether things like the ipad will actually prevent manufacturers kind of bringing out other pieces of of equipment because the ipad sort of can do those kind of tasks but uh i mean i'm really thinking of an ipad for uh like uh, someone mentioning in the chat room uh, touchable for controlling ableton live or this thing as i was mentioning the orb for uh, controlling Omnisphere, uh, but is is that going to be my only option to get an iPad? Do you see what I'm saying? You know, paying X amount of money for. Yeah. I don't really need anything. I don't need the other aspects of an iPad. I've got a, a MacBook Pro, so. Yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, I suppose there's so a similar. It, I suppose the thing is, it's ubiquity. It's easy. You know, it's much easier to mm. develop for a single platform than it is. You know, as I'm sure Dave yeah. will will concur. It's much easier to do that. Uh, uh, Ulrich, do you? Um, mix in the box or do you kind of go for big mixing desks, discrete outputs you know do the kind of uh, um, the, the, the analog summing kind of approach just out of curiosity yeah I do, I do go into the computer via mixing desk but I eventually mix um, in, in the box now and how do you control that aspect of it because presumably that brings it all down to do, do you have kind of hardware control for that or do you drive it all with the mouse I and mean, how do you tend to, to work that way um, to be honest with you, it's just mouse and keyboard. Um, I know it's uh, probably not the most convenient way. I probably have to think about a controller at some point. But um, I don't know. So far, I was mainly concentrating on improving the sound because uh, Goodbye was the first album I mixed uh, in, in the box and I wasn't overall happy with the results. And by now, I'm feeling a bit more comfortable with this kind of setup, probably primarily due to the use of universal audio plugins, which I think have reintroduced a lot of warmth and uh, um, like an organic feeling back into the music that I was missing beforehand. Yeah, they seem to be kind of really cleaning up. Um, well, now that the power core's gone as well, I mean, there's pretty much, aside from uh, obviously the Pro Tools stuff, is the only kind of powered plugins available now, unless I'm mistaken. I think that's pretty much it, isn't it? And they've got, they've got this nice firewall right. host now. Yeah, the, the yeah. satellite. I think we're, gonna, we're hoping to get yeah. one in for review, actually. Um, but there's, uh, if I may, there's a couple SSL. of things I wanted to say in response. Um, to Gaz's point about the iPad not needing one for the laptop, I felt exactly the same way until somebody gave me one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now I don't go anywhere without it. Right. For whatever um, it's worth. No, I don't make a lot of music on it. No, I don't expect a lot of hit records are going to get made on them. And, and, you know, we can have that whole discussion too. But just from the standpoint of the technology you don't have that you don't miss because you never had it before, you'd probably really like it if you had it. Yeah, <laughs> and and to Ulrich's point about soft sense and that hardware sense. Apple's marketing campaign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't know I didn't well, need I didn't know I needed this. <laughs> to uh, right, kind of, and and to Ulrich's point about the differences between uh, hard and soft synths and such. Of course, there are very very few software synthesizers that sound anywhere close to the quality you get out of a really great vintage hardware synthesizer. And fortunately, one of our best friends here makes some of them, but. Uh, <laughs> But besides that, uh oh, it went away. Right, I'm going to try that again. Okay. Hi there. Hello. 
hi, Nick. Hello. I was going to say, I need to go now anyway, so it's five o'clock. So, um, All right, um, Dave Robinson. Yeah. Dave Robinson, I'll do the introduction. <laughs> Dave Robinson, Pro Sound News Europe, thank you very much for joining hi, us. Dave. It's been a pleasure to, get, to keep you aboard. If I, can, if I can just put a quick plug in. Yes. Uh, as it were, a plug in, not a plug in. Um, in Pro Sound News this month, which is a uh, magazine, it's just out today, actually. And Excellent. on the website. We have an interview with Frederic Rousseau, who's the only guy who ever worked with both Vangelis and Jean-Michel Jarre. So he talks about recording the concerts in China, recording Blade Runner, all that kind of stuff. Fantastic. Um, ProSoNewsEurope.com, yeah. And if you, uh, yeah, if you go to the digital edition, and it's, it's the back page interview. But it's just, uh, I met him at NAMM, fantastic guy, absolutely fantastic. Great. Well, thank you very much for telling us. Thanks very much. Thanks for the show. Ulrich, very nice to speak to you. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, and I uh, look forward to your next, uh, your next recordings. Thank you. Cheers, Thank you. Dave. Right. Cheers. Bye, thanks. Bye. Yeah. Who, have we got, oh, there we got Rich. No, as we talk about garage band-like products, and particularly as they relate to a, a hardware platform like the iPad, we're really looking at a 30-year path to the democratization of the music-making process mm. that has nothing really to do with guys like me and Dave and Ulrich and Gavs and Nick and PJ yeah. and pretty much most of our listeners in as much as it's not directed towards us as a creative tool. We have all of those. And as a marketing concept, we're seen as a completely different strata of marketing direction as the hobbyist and beginner. And yeah. so for those people, obviously, these products serve a very useful function because if it begins to encourage them to participate in a creative process that involves music making, whether or not they ever take it to another level where they have a CS80 or whatever, um, if that provides some level of comfort and satisfaction to them, that's a wonderful thing. You know? And I think we all agree on that. I, don't, I just think it just needed to be said because we're all examining it kind of from the standpoint of how we as professionals relate to those kinds of things. And they're not really directed towards us. No, well, that's true. I mean, there are applications that are, and uh, probably certain aspects of some of the consumer things that will be also. But uh, yeah, as a general rule, you're absolutely right. I, I wonder whether we were, might actually finally made it to the expert sleeper CV module, um, which I think yeah. maybe this is something, Ulrich, you might uh, be interested in as well, because obviously uh, you must control some of your analog synthesizers and what have you from within the box. Uh, and this is the uh, ES3. It's a Eurorack Euro format. Uh, it's basically... Uh, an ADAT I.O. with DC-coupled uh, outputs that enable you to use it as an, uh, a control interface for modular stuff. Great idea. You plug it into a Eurorack and you just kind of you send stuff out and it enables you to... It's kind of like the Motu Volta kind of vibe, but they run it with... Uh, it's, it converts eight channels of light pipe to DC-coupled on 3.5mm jacks. And it comes with a couple of uh, silent way. Silent way software is the, the thing that runs as a plug-in and enables you to control it that way. And... Um, I think they're 185 quid. And, and Ulrich, I was going to ask you, because, I mean, you, you must have to control a lot of your analog stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you play a lot of it live anyway, but when you sequence, how do you, how do you tend to, to, to do that? I mean, is it purely MIDI? I suppose most of your stuff is MIDI already. Um, yeah, most of it actually is. I mean, obviously, for, for a couple of things, it's probably quite conventional, uh, the way I work, quite, quite old school in a way. I've got like a um, Duffer step sequencer and um, some other little devices that convert uh, MIDI to uh, CV gate information. But um, something uh, like that is definitely a useful, useful tool to have to expand the, the possibilities, yeah. 
And do you, uh, I mean, because that's the one thing that I've never, I, never, I mean, the Volta thing worked quite nicely, but it seemed mm. to be quite uh, sort of CPU hungry. You couldn't ever get more than a couple of synths going because it seemed to just sort of, at least mm. on the system I was using it, it just didn't quite run as many uh, uh, instances as I was hoping for. It was quite hard to say. I mean, the, the, I guess the thing is with all of these things, it's calibration, isn't it? It's just trying to figure out how to kind of make sure it's, it's, it's doing. Because there, there are so many different standards in the CV, Hertz, Volts, and all of that kind of side of things. Um, Dave Spears, will you be getting one of these? Have you got any Eurorack stuff, by the way, um, Ulrich? Uh, or, or, sorry, or Dave? Have you got any? You haven't got any Eurorack stuff, have you? No. Gaz? I, yeah, I've been looking at the dope for sort of range, and uh, I, I I am thinking of getting like a, one of the suitcase. Uh, it's uh, the hundred six p the hundred p six. I think is the yes. one you're after. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, and then just start it because I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty green to all this kind of uh, modular stuff. So, but I am really really interested. So, mm, and then. Yeah, I think that the expert sleepers, uh, it looks like a really, 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 really slick way to integrate those, you know, otherwise kind of alien worlds to sort of like to pull them in together. Um, so, yeah, and with the Eurorack thing, I mean, lot there seems to be more and more manufacturers coming into that format now. It's the though, do- I think it's the dominant format. There are other formats. I don't know what they are. Yeah. Dave, you're probably more aware of which uh, other formats are. There's a couple. Is it Modcan? Or, is that a format or am I... Um... Uh, you know, I'm not entirely sure. I'm kind of saving up for a synthesizers.com modular, but I need the room first. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, Ulrich, you're, you're spoiled with the 100M. How much have you got? How much uh, cabinetage have you got for your 100M system? How much what? How, how, much, <laughs> how many cabinets? Come on. Cabinets. All oh, right. So, yeah. Um, it's just five. It's just a very basic system. Right. Um, yeah, obviously one one oscillator module, um, filter, uh, VCA, envelopes. With an, it's got the LFO section in it as well, and then a second module with an added LFO and uh, ring modulation uh, as well. Do you find that you use it for processing more than sound generation, or is it kind of a bit of everything? Mm, I've actually only got that quite recently. So so far, I've just been indulging and kind of like uh, very classic uh, sort of Berlin school sequencing, but just just for fun. It's probably not something that's going to end up on any of the records, but it's it's just really good fun to play around with. I mean, the thing that always worries me about anything getting into modular territory is like, great, now you can interface a computer, which takes up hours and hours and hours of your time as you mess around moving windows about with something modular, which will take up hours and hours and hours of your time that you just end up in this kind of lost world of just kind of a sonic journey that i'm not sure where it gets you unless you know where you're going i mean do you find when you're working with synthesizers that you you tend to sort of know what you want and go for it or do you kind of gen generally sort of mosey around until you find something that's just so no actually sometimes i envy people that work in a more experimentation based way because usually i have a pretty clear idea on what kind of sounds i think would suit um, an arrangement and i just try to work uh, towards that that goal but so i mean that's that's probably not that much uh, i don't know hours and hours of uh, tweaking stuff and finding lucky accidents in, in my music it's all pretty much uh, just a pre preconceived uh, idea that I try to realize. 
Mm. Uh, Rich, I know that you've got a couple of uh, analog bit, bits of analog around. I mean, do you have the similar? I mean, you kind of go, right? We need the Moog for that because that's going to sorry Moog for that because that's going to give us you know that bottom end or whatever that we need for that particular thing. I mean, do you tend to use it in those terms, or are you kind of able to just sort of roughly start with the start the last, there and end there? <laughs> I'm going to be very very honest and frank. The last time I needed a Moog uh, for something, it needed to double the baseline very tightly. And I started with software, and I ended up in hardware. It was one case where I couldn't make either of the two software mini-moogs I had do the thing I wanted to do in about three to five minutes each, and in 30 seconds on my mini-moog, I had it. So it's, it's, you know, there's a certain familiarity I have with a mini-moog where I can generally get from wherever it's set right now to wherever I need it to be within like two minutes most of the time or very close to where I need it to be just because I've been operating the thing for 35, 40 years or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it must be the same thing for you, Ulrich, as well. I mean, Gaz, do you have much in the way of synthesis around the place? I mean, is that something that you reach for or is it uh, you want more of in your life? <laughs> I, yeah, you know, I am quite a beginner. I've been using synths for like, 20 years but I still think of myself as a real real beginner but um yeah I mean you know I think I mentioned before I bought a Roland Geyer as a sort of way to try and get a little bit more hands-on uh which is really lovely but it doesn't sound very good <laughs> well it sort of sounds okay but uh you know it, it does really make me kind of yearn for sort of more kind of hands-on kind of kit um and uh yeah I did have a a mini Moog for a while on loan from Andra, um and it was just it was just a beautiful beautiful thing and just like uh, just to concur with what what rich is saying you know they're just so fast and so so immediate and uh yeah and i guess that is where you know they kind of triumph over soft synths but you know as i say you know things like i play with omnisphere a lot and omnisphere and i get really deep and i go right and uh you know and and then that's something that hardware just can't hold a candle to as well so Mm. They, they, they both they're both great really <laughs> well i've got i've got the uh, slim fatty here for uh, for review and uh, mm. because i've just done i've just done the ultranova and the emaudio venom you know i haven't actually reviewed a hardware synthesizer for ages and it's that sort of you kind of go oh yeah that that stuff that the others don't have i mean this thing's got <laughs> You're not going to get the bottom end out of that. But, I mean, here, it's massive. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, there's something very immediate about it. I mean, you know, the, when you're working with a synthesizer, I mean, Dave, you know this. I mean, it's the interaction. The whole thing is a completely different process, isn't it? So you can get, you can usually get somewhere else that you wouldn't get with software. Depends, Carl. In a lot of ways, it depends what angle you're approaching it from. If you're approaching it from a kind of player's perspective... You can put the crappiest instrument in front of a really ace player and they'll make it sing. Whereas actually, in a lot of cases, if I'm working on sound design and stuff like that, then I like that kind of organic flow with, that I get with, uh, with hardware. And I'm fortunate enough it, to be able to spend a huge amount of time with software that actually over time that comes. But I think Howard had, had a really good point in the chat room. In that That's Howard Scar. The time, the, yeah. yeah, people... people you know, if you invest that time in an instrument, I mean, I've been spending a lot of time with Omnisphere lately, 
and uh, over the last week or so and you gradually go deeper and deeper into it and it kind of draws you in and it sucks you in any good instrument should be able to do that in my opinion hmm yeah no absolutely yeah um pj mm-hmm. pj you kind of yes, uh, you, i know that you're pretty much in the box just because of the nature of your work i mean uh, do you ever yearn for the day when you can sort of be free from uh, from the from the screen yeah absolutely as a matter of fact um after i'm done kind of beefing up the uh uh the analog to digital conversion and uh and whatnot in my room the next thing I'm going to start saving up for is hardware again, because I, I have been um, working on a project right now where when this project began 11 years ago and, and went on and went on hold, I was using a lot of, a lot of hardware. And, and in, and at that time, you know, we, we had fully the capability of uh, obviously of, of midiing everything up and using it that way. But the way that I used it often was simply just to hook up a hardware keyboard to uh, a mixing console and record direct in and just play and just layer that way and I miss that way of working I really really miss it and lately I've been really yearning for doing that you know in in in, in more of the things that I work on as personal projects and uh, with other people as collaborations so uh, I think hardware is probably not too far out on the mm. list of things that that I'm going to and now it's just a a matter of deciding where to go with that because there there are so many options so Ulrich I mean when you're working with the you know with, on your stuff I mean are you one of these guys who really likes to be very precision I mean do you sequence a lot or you tend to play and edit I mean how do you tend to tend to work from that sort of point of view well I, I always start with something that's quite precisely sequenced and then I try to destroy it uh, afterwards by heavily modul- modulating the signal by using plugins for instance that introduce a random element like I mentioned granular synthesis before I think that's very good for achieving that so um, um, yeah and I, th- I think also that the advantage of uh, using older hardware which is for me one of the main benefits um, over plugins is that they kind of introduce a random element even when something is very tightly sequenced um, anyway like if you if you play uh, any uh, old synthesizer, analog synthesizer, even even digital, some digital synthesizers, um, not one note is going to sound exactly like the next one, even even if it's actually the same key. And um, I think um, therefore I can I can afford to quantize stuff pretty brutally, but it's still it's still retaining a human and organic element somehow. Well, that's the one thing that I really notice about your stuff as well. It's got a real. Um it's almost like a liquid feel. There's a sort of cadence and a, and a, and a flow to the way that the sounds move in and out. You, you don't generally kind of have these hard kind of switches. It sort of tends to be very, um, like I say, ethereal, but it has a sort of inherent pace and uh, feel to it that way. I mean, that, do you kind of tend to achieve that with automation or are you using the attacks and the rise of envelopes and that sort of thing? It's, it's probably that, but I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that it's probably part of the actual musical stu- substance already because if, if you write stuff the way like, like I do like I said if you ro- actually arrange piano pieces uh, electronically then obviously uh, a piece of music is going to have a certain dynamic range 
automatically in it already and you don't necessarily just have to artificially create that afterwards through automation or whatever it's it's kind of within the piece already but at the same time i obviously use um, um these these additional treatment possibilities a lot mm. as well yeah interesting interesting because there is something to be said, isn't there, for just um, actually restricting the amount of stuff that you actually use and just trying to use what you use really, really well. And uh, the example I wanted to mention was, I, I'm not sure, I think it was one of you guys who sent a link for uh, somebody playing the clavier line, uh, some some French guy, was it? Sort of, I think it was old footage, it's on YouTube from about... 40 50 years ago um is it is it the clavier line am i am i right in thinking that and um yeah and he, sounds uh, like perry that right okay that's the guy yeah and i mean you know we would just kind of think that that's such a very basic kind of um piece of equipment but that guy he just makes it sound amazing doesn't he he, he just he just mimics all these instruments on it and uh and i was kind of watching that and i was thinking god blimey you know, if he can just take that such a very simple thing and be amazing, it's like we kind of spend, you know, that is that's what we should be doing, really, just trying to get better with very with little rather than getting worse with more stuff, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, yeah. I think there's, there's some truth in that. It's funny because with each kind of new technology, it's almost like we start at the base of a ramp and gradually as we get better... We reach a plateau, and then we've got a new technology. So mm. everything kind of starts again. And actually, that mm. Jenny Ondia line with Jean-Jacques Perry was really indicative right. of that. He was such a virtuoso player, and the tones he could get out of that were actually better than some of the tones that come out of more modern instruments. Yeah. Just because he knows it really well. Hmm. Mm. I, 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 I think I think that's if I just might can I can yeah. add that I think for me that's that's always the main problems with these type of discussions. I mean, some of the previous stuff that I have said might have come across the way as if I have like a very defined and opinion on all of these things. I think the opposite is actually the case because the problem <laughs> is simply you can sit someone that's got no musical idea in front of a MOOC modular and you're going to probably get terrible results. You can get someone who's amazingly talented and has got a real feeling for music in front of a Yamaha preset keyboard from the 80s and he's going to probably make an amazing piece of music with it and that's why I mean I'm not necessarily saying that everyone has to buy super expensive uh, hardware I'm not necessarily saying you can't make great music on an iPad I'm just basically saying if you are in the position where you can afford stuff like that it might be just a, a more comfortable way of easier reaching your musical goals but at the same time uh, that that it's certainly not like um, it's certainly not a way that automatically leads to amazing results. That's that's the weird thing about music. Like uh, there, there is no there's, there's there is obviously no guaranteed recipe or no secret uh, ingredient that you just have to buy or purchase and uh, that makes makes it fantastic. Then, but but it's interesting though. I think that as more and more people who get into it through the immediacy of things like iPad apps or whatever become involved in music. Yeah. Their initial thought yeah. may be, actually, I do need to do If I just spent some more money, I'd be much better. But, I mean, it's, it, yeah. it is an ongoing realisation, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a journey, a lifelong journey, <laughs> to coin a cheesy phrase. I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially, it's always about an, an idea, a musical idea. And it's about, I think I said that before, it's about the person that's, that's doing it and their vision. And um, 
even if, if you sit someone in front of some really crappy idea, they might not be able to realize that vision to the fullest extent, but uh, it's probably more interesting if you sit someone in front of a yeah, that's really expensive, that hasn't got any vision at all. So yeah. um, it's, it's always about the person that's doing it. Really. I think that's a good, a, a good closing statement there. Ulrich, thank you very much for, for putting that together. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, it, it's, I think uh, as far as this experiment goes with technology, I think it might work again and I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll have a discussion perhaps uh, before we do it again next week to see if uh, how it works and how everybody in the chat room felt it was uh, it would be nice to be able to focus on the individual people while they're talking because it makes it easier to kind of uh, to see you know what's going on but I, I, anyway I'll, I'll get I'll, I'll get my best men onto it and see whether we can improve matters but uh, Ulrich thank you very much for joining us I, I appreciate that you must be incredibly busy if you're about to go uh, actually and do a few gigs so very good luck with all of that um, people can see you um, where's the best place to find out your tour dates and all of that kind of stuff um, Facebook and MySpace profiles. I haven't got a website at the moment. I need to sort that out. Okay. Well, I will. Uh, I think Ulrich-Schnaus.com goes to your Facebook. Links, face- yeah, links to the Facebook exactly, profile. Yeah. So I'll put yeah. the links in the show notes. And uh, thank you ever so much for joining Thanks. us. Uh, and we'll also say goodbye to our other guests. And we'll say goodbye to, uh, let's say, well, Dave's next to me. I can poke him. Dave. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for joining us too uh, and uh, having your lovely backdrop there um, maybe we'll get to see some other corners of your room in uh, subsequent episodes at uh, g4software.com thank you very much thank you good fun and Gaz Williams over there songsurgeon.co.uk thanks for joining us too and I hope you enjoy your new base I'm sure actually on reflection it's probably a much better purchase than an iPad I'll go and get it. Hang on, it's just there. <laughs> okay. Uh, while uh, while I was saying goodbye, we'll say goodbye also to uh, PJ Tracy, pjtracymusic.com. Thank you for joining us too, mate. Oh, thanks, Nick. It was a real pleasure. Uh, always good to have you aboard, and uh, I realise the time difference can be a little bit uh, problematic, but I, I, I appreciate you getting up the crack of dawn to join us. Always appreciated. Oh, and yeah, it's not that early. It's, ah. it, and it's, it's, def- it's definitely a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. So, Gaz, Gaz is re-entering here, stage left. Oh, that's pretty. Beautiful. Oh, wow, I like that. That's very, very glam rock. Yeah. That's cool. It's, like, made out of, like, like some sort of kitchen sort of material. Oh, is it? It's like a sort of Formica worktop. <laughs> yeah. It sounds amazing. Really? Yeah. Has it got some sort of chrome thing on the top, the top edge there? What's that's that? a banjo, like a, a banjo, uh, I think, they're from. Oh, right, yeah. that's interesting. That's so... Beautiful. You're giving it a away, you don't, you don't gouge big chunks out of your arm. Ah, because it's and got a very sharp edge. you stop playing the bass as you can prepare a flank steak on top you of it. You just flip it over. <laughs> <laughs> Is it self-healing melamine? Yeah. It's, some, it's something like that, yeah. Oh, very sweet. You well, can tenderize it with the precision base. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Very sweet. Right, and uh, that other voice and face you can see there, Rich Hilton, thank you also for joining us. I'm sure have you got to dash off and do some great things in the studio now? I, I'm not sure. What's, uh, I know there's a bunch of piano preparation involved today with some songs, but I'm not sure if I have to go down there if I'm doing it here. Okay, well, thank you once again for joining us, and thanks, everybody, for bearing with us um, while we sorted out the technical difficulties. Even though the line dropped, I think we got it back 
reasonably quickly and thank you also to all the people in the chat room uh, for hanging in there and i'm sure uh, you've probably got better things to be doing at work than uh, watch me sweating while i try and connect all of our users together but i think i mean we had quite a lot of people here this week so i think that was about as challenging as it's ever likely to get so uh, once again thank you very much for joining us and that was sonic talk number 210 and also thanks to our show sponsors uh, yamaha download.com <laughs>